is in their hometown? Right now, who is in your hometown where, where you grew up? All right, so a few, all right. So you guys, you guys never left home. I mean, you came back at least. Maybe you went somewhere, but you came back. All right, so, th- so those of you who don't live in your hometown, um, when you left home if, and then went back, was it different? I see some nodding heads. Yeah, I remember, um, so I grew, up, I grew up 12 miles south of a little town, uh, 690 people, uh, two dogs and three cats. Well, there are probably as many dogs and cats as there are people, but maybe more. Um, but 12 miles south of there. And when I went back after being gone um, for a number of years, I was amazed at how small the houses were. I, it, was, it was weird. I mean, it was, like, it was like all of a sudden the houses had shrunk. Um, I mean, I, the house that I grew up in was like 900 square feet. It was, it was, it was small, but, you know, it was my whole world. Uh, I remember my bedroom, I thought, was huge. You know, I had a bedroom to myself, which was odd. My, my brother and my sister are older than I am, so they were out of the house, basically, before I sort of knew what was going on. And so I had my own room. But, I mean, my room is, 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 was tiny. My parents don't live there anymore, but um, it was just tiny. But I just remember the houses in my hometown. I mean, still I drive there, and, and it's just, it seems, they seem so small. At my grandmother's house... Uh, same way that she lived in the, they lived, by that time, they, my grandfather, my grandmother lived in the town where I went to high school and, and I often stayed with them. And, and, and I'll never forget, there was a place in their basement. There was a place in their basement that we just didn't go into. I mean, there was stuff there, but you didn't need to. Um, and I always thought it was so mysterious, you know? And then right before, um, right before they moved my grandmother out of there, after my grandfather died, I remember going in there and, it, you know, it was just like a, it had bed in it, and it had some stuff. You know, it was like it was sort of like the attic, but they didn't have an attic. Um, but when you go back home, it's just it's just different. It's just different. Um, and when you go back home to be with your parents or to be with your family, I don't know about you, uh, but what did Benjamin Franklin say that guests and fish begin to stink after three days? Yeah, like Jennifer and I figured out that that depending on if we were staying with family because it's so far away for us back in Nebraska to go, we usually have to go for like a, you know, a week or two at a time um, just because then it makes it worth it, you know, because you can't just drive there. We don't ever, we rarely ever drive there. We fly. But, you know, we know we got to have stuff to do. We can't just be hanging around the house for three days in a row because if we're at Jennifer's house, Jennifer becomes the little girl again. And her dad becomes, you know, the father again and the mother again, and we get treated just like that. Same way at my house. You know, you sort of fall into these roles. Um, I, become, I become the younger child, you know, the defiant younger child, because I'm the youngest one. And so, you know, it's just not a good recipe for fun family times. So Jesus goes back to his hometown. But, you know, imagine... Imagine now that you, you've gone out and you've made a name for yourself. You've become somebody. And people follow you around. And people hang on your every word. And now you go back home and everybody's just like, oh, that's just Keith. You know, he's just gotten too big for his britches. And they don't believe a word that you say. I mean, it, it happens because that's how they know you. They haven't been around you to, 
to understand the kind of growth, the kind of experiences you've had. You know, maybe they never left home. Maybe, maybe that's where they're from. And so their, their conceptualization of, of the world is that. And again, no judgment against them. It's just that's, that's what it is. But you've been somewhere else. You've done something else. And again, and, or maybe this has happened to you. Maybe somebody that you know, right? Somebody you grew up with who was a real pain in the tuchus, you know, uh, always got in trouble in school, always, always just did stuff, was mean to you, maybe picked on you, that sort of thing. And then they go away and they actually become a decent human being. But when they come back, you don't trust it, right? Because all you know of them is, you know, the locker room stuff or, or how they treated you in front of other people when, they were in, when you were in high school or something. But Jesus goes back home. So Jesus goes back home and, and he goes to the synagogue and, and he teaches there. And, and, and they're like, wow, I mean, they're hearing this. They're, 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 sensing, they're sensing that there's something different about him, but it just doesn't compute. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense for them. And so they can't accept it. And so they're like, well, is, isn't this Mary's son? And apparently at that time, if you, um, if, if you said isn't that Mary's son versus isn't that Joseph's son, it was an insult. Because at that time in history, you were not, you were not, you were, you were not a Jewish person by, descended from your mother, it was from your father. Now it's different. That changed at some point in history. That now, now if you're Jewish, it comes from your mother's side. I don't understand all that, but that's just how it is. And so, and so they said, oh, well, isn't this Mary's son? Dig, dig, dig. Maybe even insinuating that he didn't have a father, right? Because to them, Joseph would have been the father, even though, depending on what they knew about his birth, right? Maybe he, they thought he was illegitimate, so maybe he wasn't Joseph's son, they thought. So they give him this dig, and, and it says that then, then he couldn't, he was, he, they, you know, his teaching wasn't as powerful the healing he, is just because they didn't believe. They didn't believe that, that something like that could happen to one of their own hometown boys. That this could happen. Isn't, is, aren't these his brothers and sisters that are sitting here? Oh, and just FYI, there's a lot of debate about this particular passage because, because they say, well, aren't these his brothers and sisters? Um, because... In the Catholic tradition, Jesus had no brothers and sisters because Mary couldn't have had any more children after she had the Immaculate Conception. Because her womb, would have, that, that's it. Like it, you, you get one Immaculate Conception, that's, that you're done, apparently. I, you know, I, I don't understand all that, but it's all, you know, whatever. But, I mean, here it says, aren't, aren't these his brothers? So, in, so for Catholics, these are cousins. These are not true brothers and sisters or something. Anyway, it's fascinating. But the things that we fight over. But... These his brothers and sisters just doesn't doesn't make any sense, and so the power the power that Jesus has is just is in some sense is lost on them because it's just they just can't open their minds to it or their hearts to it. And so think about today. Think about today. There are places in the world today where what we would call miracles, just happen on a regular basis. 
right? I mean, you hear stories. I've not been in the presence of these things, but you hear stories of people, just like you and me, grew up, you know, white, middle class, you know, just sort of Protestant, you know, just sort of got to get your education, do all those things. And then they, they go to Africa, say, or India, and and the people there, you know, they get, they, they get the Bible in their hands and they start reading it and they read a passage out of the book of James which says, you know, if, if someone's sick, get the elders together, pray for them, anoint them with oil, and, and they'll be healed. That's not the exact quote, but that's the gist of it. And they come back and they say, these people believe that stuff. And then I see them and we go and someone is sick and they pray over them and they anoint them with oil and they're healed. Mind blown. Because for us, we'd be like, ah, you know, really? Prayer? Oil? Take him to the doctor. You know, that's where the miracles happen, right? We got, we got miracle in a little capsule. And maybe that's in some ways true, right? I mean, better living through modern chemistry for some people. I mean, there are miracles that happen every day in our lives because of the miracles of, of modern medicine or those kinds of things. But, but I just want to invite you to think about what, what things, what are the things in your life that you just don't think will ever come to pass? What relationships do you believe are so broken that they could never be healed? What, what things about you do you feel that you are incomplete and, and you'll, never, you'll never be complete because of, because of the shame or the guilt that you have about something that you did or you didn't do in, the, in your past or something that's going on right now? What is something that you're in the midst of that you don't think you can get out of? And what if? What if God's power is so much more than we could ever imagine, but we're stuck. We're stuck in our hometown with Jesus. And we're not willing to challenge. We're not willing to challenge our own thoughts about what our faith, about what salvation, about what healing, what God can do in the midst of situations. Because one, well, maybe we're not even willing to to ask God to help, I'll fix it myself. Or it's, it's done. It's never going to be, it's never going to be right. So I'm just going to leave it alone. It's not worth worrying about. Maybe we're not even willing to ask God to help. And maybe we're just not, we, we just don't even think that God, God's power can, can reach that. We just, we've bought into our own thinking about our, about the limitations. What if? What if? What if when we were sick, when we were hurting, we called together the elders? I think that would scare the life out of some elders, right? Katie gets a phone call. Hey, Katie, will you come over and pray and lay hands on me? What? No, I'm just, I'm calling Katie out. I mean, you know. Oh, no, no, we go. Chris, you know. Chris gets a phone call. And like, hey, Chris, will you come over and 
Pray and lay hands on. Will, will, you, will, you, get, you know, will you get Courtney? Will you get Joel? Will you, you come over? I mean, I think we would be, I mean, we would be floored, number one. But number two, honored. Number three, we'd probably feel like, what am I doing? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not complete. I, I, don't, I, what, I don't have enough faith to do this. I don't, I don't have, you know, I don't, I don't have my umbrella. I don't have, I don't have my, I don't have my sand screw thing to put the umbrella in. I don't have my frisbees. I don't have my, I don't have my goggles. Um, I don't have my prayer shawl. I don't know. I don't, I mean, it's as soon, I'm sure as soon as that phone call would come in, we'd be like, uh, 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 what do I even say? What do I even do? But knowing our elders, we would go. We would go. Because I just invite you to think about the fact that no matter, no matter what's going on in your life, in God, you're complete. You are whole. You are, you are so much more than what you imagine yourself to be. In God's sight, you are beautiful and holy and handsome and powerful beyond measure. When you walk into a room, you have an opportunity to touch and to change lives just by the way you bring yourself into it. Not because you have some crazy, cocky confidence that, you know, whatever, that you can just exert power on the room, but because you have this, uh, this um, something inside of you that just has been opened up and, and shown the kind of power that God has for your life. Think about these disciples, right? I mean, Peter, who's the rock upon which Jesus is going to build the church. That's what he says later. He's the rock. He's the foundation stone. Of course, the Catholic Church says that's the first pope. Right? He, you know, he ends up being crucified upside down. So he gives his life for Jesus, for, the, for his faith, for his belief. I mean, Peter's a mess. <laughs> right? I mean, he's the first one to say, you're the Messiah, but then he's the first one to say, get behind me. You know, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because, because, because Peter's like, well, you can't, this can't happen to you. You can't die. These things can't happen. We've got to protect you. We've got to do all these things. I mean, think, and then think about the other disciples. It, within the disciples, there's a tax collector who's basically a guy who's, who's gone along with the government, with the Roman government, and, 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 and is probably doing things that are not um, legal, you know, skimming money off the top, because that's what ta- tax collectors did, and a zealot, a tax collector and a zealot, and a zealot would have been fundamentally opposed to the tax collector, because, because he would say, you sold out on our faith, because you, you touch Roman money every day, you're unclean all the time, you're no longer fit to be called a you know, a Jewish brother, a Hebrew brother, and yet here they are in amongst the 12. I mean, this is a ragtag bunch of fishermen. Some of them fishermen, tax collectors, zealots. We don't know what the rest of them did. And then Jesus, in this passage, he, he says, okay, well, guess what? It's your turn. You see me, Healing people, you've seen me preaching them about, about the love of God. You've seen, you've seen me opening their minds. Guess what? It's your turn. 
Get out there. Oh, and guess what? You don't get to take anything with you. I mean, at that time, you, know, you didn't carry around a scroll, right? I mean, no, you know, the scrolls were in the synagogue. You, know, you didn't have a book. You didn't have, you didn't have instructions. You didn't, you, didn't, you didn't have a guide. But he says, don't, don't take an extra tunic. Don't take an extra pair of sandals. Don't take any money. Man, I don't leave the house without money. I mean, in the form of a plastic card, at least. Right? I mean, don't take anything. Just go. Just go. You're, you're ready. Wow. What if, what if, just for one hour of every day, you just lived into the fact of how complete and beautiful and powerful you are in God? What if just for one hour? What, what could you do? What could you imagine doing? I mean, maybe you're just imagining it now. What would you change about your life? What would you, what would you pray would happen? What would, you, what would you say to the people that are around you? What would you invite them into? Because as people who've been baptized in the water, we've joined a family that believes that God can do those things, can heal the sick, can heal relationships that are broken, can bring into being things that we think cannot be, can right wrongs, can take someone who was a real pain in the tuchus in high school and make them into somebody that we would want to be like. What if, just for an hour a day, you took seriously the call that Jesus gave to those disciples and just believe that you were sent out to be his ambassadors. Let's invite you into that. First, to imagine that no matter what's happening in your life, no matter, no matter where you are, if you have some sickness or illness, some addiction, if you have relationships that are broken, if you, if you just feel incomplete in yourself, just to imagine that one, that you are complete and whole and powerful because of God right now, right here, that you don't need, you don't need anything else. You don't need anything else. And in that position then, to just open yourself and ask yourself, what, what does need to shift in my life for me to live like this more and more, for me to live into the fact that, that I am a sent out one in God's name? Are there things I need to fix? 
Are there ways of being that I need to change? I just invite you into that. Invite you into that. Because you are whole. You are complete. You are the holy ones of God. Jesus said so. And we are called to be the sent out ones. To heal the sick. To cast out the demons. To bring love and hope and grace to our homes, to our work, to our schools, to our community, to our world. So may we go home with a new mind as the sent out ones. In Jesus' name. Amen.